Born on this day in 1956, lead singer of Cameo, Larry Blackman. He was the singer with American soul-influenced funk group Cameo, who had the big song. You can hear it behind me here. Word up, what a song. Also born on this day, a musician of huge significance, Bob Dylan. But I got to thinking, well, it's Wednesday. What do I really want to hear? Word up or blowing in the wind? Do I really feel like blowing in the wind when we can have a little soul funk of an afternoon? Anyway, happy birthday, Larry Blackman, and happy birthday, Bob Dylan. No doubt, Sue Kesley, you would have loved a little bit of Dylan, huh? Absolutely. I quite like that um, that music, but no, no, it just doesn't compare with Bob Dylan. <laughs> did I choose the wrong song, Connor? You did for me. <laughs> Well, that guy sounds like uh, Prince a bit, doesn't he? Yes, he does. You know, very so good. Um, very I, you know, good. I used to like Prince, or quite like Prince. That's exactly it. Good on you, Connor. That's the way. Yes, um, Prince was actually quite influenced by uh, Cameo there. In fact, uh, I do believe they were, if not friends, compatriots. Anyway, that's a, a fantastic uh, song by a fantastic band. Cameo there. You're on the panel on RNZ National. Gosh, good heavens, quite a bit of response regarding whether or not zoos uh, are past their use-by date. Sorry, I can't jet-set over to Kenya to visit a wildlife park, or maybe they should be a thing of the past too. So should poaching and deforestation, but it isn't. What do you think Steve Irwin would say? Zoos are at the forefront of conservation. And Hera says... Most zoos are fabulous places for breeding programs for endangered species. I do not think they're on the way out. Although Kyle says, um, no point going to a zoo. They may as well be dead and stuffed. Zoos are nothing like an animal in the wild. It's just cruel. So, yeah. 25 to 5, the panel, RNZ National. This is fascinating, this topic. Uh, It's an election year, and that means big political campaigns and attack ads. But this year, people have noticed National's ads look a little bit off. The reason for that is at least four of the images they've used in their campaign so far have been generated by artificial intelligence, AI. They've included AI-generated healthcare workers, Ram Raiders, and even the cast of the Fast and Furious movies. Is this something we ought to be worried about? Is this a great example of adapting tech for the modern times? Or is it just utterly, utterly creepy? Text me, 2101. With us is Gorilla Technology Chief Executive and Futurist, Paul Spain. Kia ora, Paul. Kia ora, how are we doing? Very well, very well indeed. And looking at these images, it wasn't obvious to me, but was it obvious to you that they were... AI created. There is a bit of a look that you get you get used to seeing with um, with some of these AI images, and it sort of comes through in things like the hands. At times, there can be there can be extra fingers. Uh, sometimes the facial features and skin just don't look quite right. Um, but this is going to evolve, and it won't be. It probably won't be too long before we get to a point where, in most cases, you can't tell. Um, and certainly that, that is the case with some of the imagery that we're, that we're getting out of um, AI systems you know, today. There's, there's some yeah. you can, some you can't. Well, I personally couldn't tell in this particular image of the healthcare workers. I just thought it was a photograph. Um, but uh, I do acknowledge, Paul, that there are some instances of AI where there's a photograph of a footballer, footballer and the hand was around the wrong way. And it did look quite creepy. 
Yeah, some of them are, are really, really creepy. Um, I, w- I was talking to somebody that um, that works in the disability sector, and they were telling me some of the challenges that they had with finding imagery that uh, that suited for um, for their work. And so I just showed them on the spot how I could generate some images. And their first example was, what about some you know somebody uh, you know crossing the road in a wheelchair? When I generated those images, there, there were definitely some good images that came up, but there were some really odd ones where um, one of the wheels was on the on the side of the wheelchair where it would have been, the other one was on the back. Um, just all sorts of uh, strange things that I've seen with the AI at this stage, which, which no doubt will mature and, and improve over time. Okay, so a huge response uh, on this. Someone says, not creepy at all. The alternative is stock photography. There is no difference. Uh, others say this is creepy and this is wrong. Let's go around the panel. They'll have you stay there, Paul. Sue Kedley. Yeah, well, I, I personally, I think it's a bit of a mistake by the National Party because um, you really, if you're going to run cam- a campaign, you want a campaign that people can trust. Now, according to the polls, that National already has got a trust problem and why would you trust a party that uses fake images phony ram raids and so forth but i think i think the main thing is there should be uh, disclosure rules around it you know so if you're going to use an ai uh, somehow or rather we should know that this is a uh, uh, phony uh, and not real Paul, a bit of a disclosure. I know that there is uh, movements over overseas. For example, a US legislator Mm. proposed a bill that would force politicians to disclose when AI tools were used to generate imagery. Is that perhaps part of the answer? Yeah, maybe look at in some situations. It it depends how they're used. But you know, I think this will soon just become the norm. Uh, most images that end up in the media, you know, go through a tool like Photoshop or, or, or some other photo manipulation tool. And, you know, there are technological sort of elements that are that are going on and algorithms to compress our images and, and so on. And it won't be too long before probably any image that you see anywhere um, will have an element of AI in it. So really? you know, it becomes a little bit of a sort of a sliding scale then in terms of, you know, while this was originally, you know, um, a photograph, um, but then, it, you know, it has been modified in one way or another by AI through to, you know, fully, completely um, AI-generated images. So I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not quite sure how how that will play out and whether, whether that's needed. But I, I certainly that, that trust aspect, I, I think, is important. And National are now, you know, out on their own. Um, but, you know, you could, you could argue, look, they're, they're innovating. We're a country that, that needs to uh, step up from a productivity aspect. And maybe they're, they're leading from the, from the front on this and saying, look, this is a way we can, we can improve productivity and um, others should be looking at it, at it too. Yeah, as, as, as David Ferris said, uh, Connor, on Twitter, I think it was, never have to check rights agreements for stock images. Has it expired? What medium is it for? How many copies? And you never have to worry about the people in the photos complaining that they don't want the image used or having a relative con- to complain. Um, and uh, David says, stock photo libraries will be like video stores, redundant. And I thought mm. that was a fair, fair point, Connor. 
Yeah, well, I guess with any visual or imagery in, a, in, a, in an ad, uh, I mean, ads have used cartoons before. They've used actors who are acting as a family and they're not really a family. Um, you know, there's Photoshop of people who look younger than they actually are. Um, I, I'm not so worried about the images, where they come from. If they come from a, you know, what do you call it, AI or whatever, uh, I don't really mind so much about that. What I care about is that whatever the ad is, is factually right or correct. So if they're saying there's, you know, too much crime and there's 100 more crimes, well, I hope that number 100's right. If it's only 50 and they're saying 100, well, that would really concern me. Um, but if they have a, a photoshopped criminal in the ad or a, a, an actor or a cartoon, I'm not so, you know, okay. fussed about that. Not not fussed about it. All right. So just final response uh, uh, there, Paul. What do we need to look for uh, in the future, in the next five years, regarding what some might see as a slippery slope when we start getting into, for example, images? What about this? What about um, uh, reconstructed or new speeches that are that are generated with high-end imagery. And, and Wallace, I noticed yeah. the Electoral Review Committee is looking at the use of AI in election campaigns. Paul, do you know what they're looking at and what, what you know, are we, can we expect some rules around this? Yeah, look, I, I'm not sure exactly what they're, what they're drilling into, but, you know, what we've got to realise is, is the things of science fiction are becoming true and so the idea of a, a video uh, you know featuring a member of, a, of another party um, you know and and you know completely made up situation words context etc you know all of these things become possible so we, it, it is important that we that we get our heads around them and that there, there are some rules because we do see these um, you know, ads at the moment that are that you know maybe reference a particular person or, or party and try and put words words in their mouth. But if if you move that to a, a video context and it and it it really looks like somebody Gosh. saying something that Imagine they're not, um, you wow. know that that gets pretty worrying. Yeah. I, I think, we, I think, uh, I think that video thing is a real issue, isn't it? Because you can make someone look like they've said something that they haven't said. But where you have a still picture, it's a, whether it okay. comes from, I don't think it matters to me. Kia ora, Paul. Thank you for your time. That's Paul Spain there, a Gorilla Technology Chief Executive and Futurist. Um, so, yeah, the debate has started regarding AI within politics. Now, coming back to the school plays, I just had to sneak this in because we've had so much response, but arguably the best response uh, is from Lewis, who joins us now. Lewis, Hello. Hi, Willis. How are you? Very well indeed. Tell the country, what were you in the school production? <laughs> in the early 70s, uh, I had the great pleasure of going to a little wee country school called uh, Karangahaki Primary School. And <laughs> we were very, very into, kids very, very into the space shops and NASA landing people on the moon. And as you know, I mean, do this today, I think, but the communication system between the spaceships and the the ground, there's always a, they say something and there's a beep, and then the other side says something and there's a beep. Well, in the school play, I was the beep. I sat in behind the, the um, curtain on while the others, the kids did their acting on the stage, and whenever there was communication between the two, I beeped. Without you and without your beeps, Lewis, the play would have been nothing. <laughs> it certainly got on a few laughs. <laughs> and to tell you where I once or twice dropped a beep in a bit too quickly or a bit too slow. 
<laughs> Lovely. Can you reenact it for us this afternoon? Can you reenact that play for us this afternoon on the panel? Here we go. One of you, one of you's got to say something. I'll beep, and then the other person can respond, and I'll beep back. And okay. It's got to be spacey. You've got to do it spacey. Okay, you and me, Connor. <laughs> Connor, I think we're approaching 10 feet above the uh, moon surface. Well. <laughs> oh, well, I, yeah. Gosh, I missed my cue there, didn't I? Yeah. We're useless, Lewis. You're the star of the show. Your beeps were perfect, but Connor yeah. and Wallace utterly useless. Yep. Very you good. You never, you never make space astronauts, that's for sure. Yeah. Or a school production. Thanks. I'll, I'll be good at the beeping, though. Yeah. Oh, dear. Thank you, Lewis. Uh, it's 14 away from 5. The panel, RNZ National. Hey, lovely to have you company today, and thank you very much for all your feedback uh, this afternoon on Wednesday. Now, the world's most miserable countries revealed. New Zealand is 104th most miserable out of 157 countries. Zimbabwe deemed the most miserable place ahead of Venezuela, Syria. The index is the sum of unemployment multiplied by two, inflation and bank lending rates minus the annual percentage change in real GDP per capita, if you followed that. The least miserable, Switzerland. So we discussed this with panellist Martin Bosley the other day when he said he went to Sydney and was so amazed by the positivity, he came back here a little down. With us is Dr Dennis Wesselbaum from the Department of Economics from the Otago Business School. Dr Wesselbaum, Oh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Tell us about the origin of the index. Sure. Um, it really originated back in the 1960s, 70s, uh, invented by Arthur Oaken, who's a very famous economist. Every first year student learns about Oaken's law. Yeah. Uh, presidential advisor to, I believe, Johnson, um, and he invented what he called the discomfort index, which was, as he pointed out, the sum of unemployment and inflation. And it was really then used a lot in presidential election campaigns where the challenger would come in and say, you know, the economy is doing well, according to the discomfort index, vote for me and everything gets better. Um, And Ronald Reagan called it then the misery index. Right. Um, and that's now where basically after, you know, 30, 40 years later, we are debating now the, the barrel version of the misery index. Okay, so that's the origin. And look, how are we doing? Has our ranking shifted much? Uh, you could you could say that, yeah. It, it looks pretty grim. Um, so we, we used to be in 2021, we were six best, best. That was 151. This, or 2022, we're 104th, which is 50-somethings best. Oh. So that is a, a, a quite big slide down, yes. Okay, that's, uh, that's something to talk about. Stay there, Dennis. Let's go around the panel and back to you, Sue Ketley. Uh, well, I, th- I think this is uh, completely nonsensical, as if happiness can be measured by inflation, bank lending rates and GDP. Um, and odd, and actually there's a there's another one, you know, they're, they're just sort of gimmicks really, but you know there's that the world's happiest index yes. but at least they Return. measure they measure, um, you know, healthy life expectancy uh, corruption levels social support and other things like that but to give you an example of how ridiculous this particular index is Kuwait 
comes out as number two. Now, in Ku- Kuwait, is a, um, it's got an a emirates who's a, a, basically an autocracy with appointed judiciary and government. And you, couples aren't even allowed to hold hands or kiss in public. So I don't really think that's um, the second most uh, happy right. nation in the world. Okay, it's so completely Sue, ridiculous. Sue, and Ireland's third, by the way. So uh, Sue doesn't take much store on this, uh, uh, this index. Connor? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's looking at the financial aspects of the economy, really, isn't it, with unemployment and inflation and interest rates and GDP. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to see Ireland way at the top, and it's interesting to see that we've, you know, we've really plunged. And I guess, you know, we've just heard the OCR going up again, and that'll be a, a you know, pretty big factor in it. Inflation's up okay. a lot, uh, yeah, so interest rates up a lot. Does that make you miserable, Connor? Well, yeah, it does. It does make me miserable because you, my costs are higher, and and you know you've got to spend more money on mortgages and you know than otherwise on that aspect of my life. But I still look at the sun shining up there, and I enjoy every day and the wind in my face. And so, you're off to off yeah. to England tomorrow morning at six a.m. So, right. so Connor's pretty happy. Uh, okay, yeah. so Sue doesn't buy it. Connor says his value uh, in it is finally, Doctor Whistlebone. Is there value in indexes such as this in terms of you know giving a mark or a flag to where we are internationally? Yeah, I think we have to be very careful how we interpret this. I think mm. happiness is the wrong word for what the index tells us. It tells us really how the economy is doing, uh, right. which you might believe has something to do with happiness or not. Um, I think I, I generally agree with the fact that inflation has nothing to do with happiness other than okay. changing how, how far you know, $1 goes. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, whether you see a 7 or a 5 or a 4 is not going to affect your, your well-being, your happiness, whatever you want to call it. There is value in the index in the sense that it tells us something about changes over time. Um, the, the value that we see, the number, doesn't tell us much. But when we can track that over time, we can see, oh, relative to other countries, we have lost 50 positions, whereas the country that was closest to us the year before, Taiwan, is actually now better. Okay. So that tells us something about what's going on in terms of the direction rather than whatever the number is that, that you know, the misery currently is. Great to have you on the program to explain that, uh, Dennis. Kia ora. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Dr. Dennis Wesselbaum from the Otago Business School there. So talking about the misery index. But finally, uh, away from the misery, Hawke's Bay has had a tough go of it this Yes, so today we really wanted to highlight some positive news for the region, and positive it is. It's just been crowned a great wine capital. Right now, it's actually in the big leagues with Bordeaux, Napa Valley, as only the 12th place in the world to receive a membership. With us now to tell us what it means for the region is Brent Lynn, Executive Officer at Hawks Bay Wine. Brent Kiora, good to have you here. Wallace, hi. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. Bordeaux, Napa Valley, um, you've got Bilbao, Spain, Hawke's Bay. You must just have been pumped about this news. Oh, we're very excited. Doesn't it have a nice ring with Hawke's Bay and, <laughs> and, uh, alongside all those other great wine capitals? So, yeah, it's really a tonic for the region. You mentioned and and, and we've all seen the uh, devastation that some parts of the region have experienced. But this is an opportunity to get our heads up, 
look out into what is our international market and um, proudly do that with validation from some of the best wine regions in the world. It's quite extraordinary, actually. But then I thought, well, hang on, what's there? Then I thought, well, hang on, what am I talking about? You've got your Elephant Hill or your Church mm. Road, haven't you? And, uh, and all that type of thing, Sue Kishley, after a shocker uh, of uh, the last few months. Isn't this just such good news? Brilliant news. Couldn't have come at a better time, yeah. you know, with all the suffering from crop and infrastructure losses, etc. But, you know, I'm not at all surprised. I, I honestly okay. think our wines are absolutely world class. Yeah. I'm not surprised. And I can't think of a wine I've had from overseas, which is better than ones in New Zealand. Oh, really? Do you think? Seriously. Really? I think she's right, Wallace. I think she's right. She's got it in one. What about you, Connor? You've travelled a bit. You've, you've no doubt had a, the odd glass of wine. Uh, yeah, well, I have had the odd glass of wine, um, and the Hawke's Bay wines are great, aren't they? And as are Melbourne and, Melbourne, and Central yeah. Otago. Um, I think we are, as a wine sector, have done um, magnificently over the last 20 or 30 years at improving our wines. And, and so this recognition, um, you know, it sounds great, and it's no doubt it's appropriate. So... Um, you know, all, all powder their arm. I hope they yep. can sell more wine at a higher price because of it. So, Brent, uh, while you're with us, you've got other yes. b- great wine capitals. So, for example, alongside the, the well knowns, you've also got Lausanne in Switzerland, Mendoza, Argentina, of course, uh, the Napa Valley in San Fran, Verona, Italy, uh, Adelaide, South Australia. Mm-hmm. What does this mean? Is this, does this mean that it's going to be really recognised internationally when you talk of Hawke's Bay, people or wine aficionados are going to go, ah, yes? Yeah, the, there is a piece in there that's around validation of, of the quality of Hawke's Bay wines um, and by virtue of peer association with those great wine regions. But it's also going to uh, drive awareness from um, uh, tourism aspect that's going to drive awareness of the Hawke's Bay food and wine uh, um, ecosystem. So it's really around that awareness aspect that is going to um, lead our businesses to have opportunities to, um, to prosper. Yep. Now, uh, how, I've got to ask you, how uh, is the sector faring after Cyclone Gabriel when we saw was just shocked by the silt uh, that was all over many of those vines. Yeah, it was quite graphic. Um, the, the affected vineyards were um, devastated, but it was only a small proportion of the Hawke's Bay wine estate. Um, and okay. the, the, this, you know, is um, very devastating for those individual businesses, but uh, as I said, what we're trying to focus on with this is getting everyone's eyes up and looking forward um, and helping those that have been affected um, of working their way through the challenges that they have. Good on you, Brent. Thanks for being with us. Before you go, um, what are you, I'm not going to get you to choose a favourite because uh, that'll put you at a tricky spot, but what's the grape of choice right now for Hawke's Bay? Chardonnay. Shardy. Oh. Your Shardy's. Yep, I think it. Malbar and um, yeah, Otago, they'll be sort of, they're right, they're really as good as the Hawke's Bay, so I think yes. there'll be a bit of New Zealand competition around Indeed. this. Indeed. Kia ora, Brent. 
All the best. Thanks for your time there. Uh, that's Brent Lynn, Executive Officer at Hawke's Bay Wine. Uh, someone says, uh, final uh, feedback for the day, I have been to Mission Control, and that was a well-timed beep. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chris says, agree with Sue, these conversations are ridiculous. The endless negativity we hear in media and reporting is disappointing. Uh, We need to be more positive about our country. And on that note, we're going to go out with a little Bob Dylan. Happy birthday, Bob. Oh, great. Yep. And Sue Kesley. Connor English, lovely to have you come this afternoon. Thanks a lot. Great stuff. I'm Wallace Chapman. I am back tomorrow, 3.45 already excited about it, stay tuned to RNZ for Checkpoint with Lisa Owen.